What's up, Gasol Education Nation? Today's episode is brought to you by The Payday Practice and our good friends Jeff Langmaid and Jason Deach. So how would South Gooden, Gary V, and Tim Ferriss create a chiropractic practice? The answer is in this book right here. So our good friends Jeff Langmange and Jason Deach, uh, they created the payday practice to basically show you how you cover your monthly expenses in one day every month. Guaranteed, generating monthly recurring revenue in your practice can create financial freedom, eliminate chronic financial stress, and turn the first day of each month from, damn, it's time to start over, to payday. Get a free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. The Payday Practice will show you the exact step-by-step process that you can use to generate monthly recurring revenue in your practice. Get your free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gasol Education Show. Uh, we kind of took our show outside today, Brett, so uh, we have a super special guest with us today, uh, Brad Scott. And so, Brad, you're the uh, the Major League Strength Conditioning Coordinator here for the uh, for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, you're a World Series champion. Uh, congratulations. And then also, uh, you and Brad have kind of kind of intertwined themselves together for the last couple of years. So how'd you guys meet, Brett, and where, where did it all start? I think Andrew Hauser had originally brought us together when he was with the Braves, and then uh, we had a coffee with Andrew that day at the stadium, I remember, and then I met uh, for coffee with you in St. Louis outside of that, too. And uh, and I remember asking Andrew also for our World Pitching Congress, uh, who does he think's the you know one of the top people in the strength and conditioning world in the world of baseball? And he didn't even think of it. He said Brad Scott. Beautiful. So t- talk us through like where where did the infatuation with baseball maybe start, or maybe it was strength and conditioning first? But like uh, you know what what keeps you going and what what keeps you grinding through all this? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, secondly, I think. I've just always been very passionate about strength and conditioning, even such a young age. I was the youngest of five kids and trying to keep up with my older brothers. Um, I didn't play baseball, per se. I was a wrestler, played lacrosse, but we had a powerlifting team in high school, so that's what kind of started my exercise science kind of infatuation. And then went to school, ended up studying exercise science. It became easy to me. I was working in a gym all through college and then got an internship at Northeastern University, and that's where it really exploded. Um, at the time, the head guy had lost his assistant, and next thing you know, I'm running 18s, and I'm kind of put it with a lot of responsibility, and I absolutely loved it. And that was 20-something years ago now. That was about 23 years ago. And from there, I've just started to continue to kind of build, and I was in college sports for 16 years before switching over to MLB. But uh, I think that time period of being a generalist and having to work with a number of different head coaches. I would have over 300 athletes come through a weight room and at one point it was just myself. So I would train 10 teams in a day and I really think that's what um, accelerated my learning curve and accelerated just my passion for just being and working with athletes of all kind of shapes and sizes and trying to figure out answers to questions that kept coming up over and over again. It kind of answers the question really well too because most people haven't had that many reps in it before they get into it. You know, maybe, maybe a minor league system or something like that. So I ha- I'm sure that had to influence you huge. Yeah, I think there's a, I was a little non-traditionalist in that I didn't come up through the minor leagues. However, I was still working in performance and development. Sure. And so you're working with 
uh, overhead athletes such as you're still working with baseball in the college sector you're still working with volleyball players you're working with rotational athletes in golf and tennis and so on and so forth and then you're also having to actually really understand energy system training when you're working with college soccer players and working with uh, men's basketball so and then you start to kind of put these things together and really start to uh, run little pilot experiments on each team and see what actually works like hey I just read this research paper well, let me try this with this team because I think it can actually happen and then what are the results and then how do you kind of steer that into the next team and the next team and, and it starts to snowball and having all those reps and that trial and error and the the opportunity to do it with somewhat of a low cost like you can't take a risk on a four or five million dollar sign mm -hmm. uh, and so you almost have to play it over overly safe and I think on my end I was able to kind of get a lot of reps and fail a lot but also succeed a lot and that kind of honed where I'm at today I think yeah. how do you deal with because a lot of these guys now whether it's off season or even during the season they'll have you know private you know they're getting private advice let's just say from a lot of different areas how do you get them bought into your program? How do you get them? Uh, how do you keep them within the team? Just because I know it's a lot easier to control if, the, if they're doing things within the team. Yeah, I think honestly, it's how do I become an ally with their trainer? You know, that person has a, a skill set that this player obviously finds valuable. So it's up to me to kind of work with that um, trainer and find out, hey, you know what? This guy really values what you say, and. You obviously make him feel really good heading into spring training, and he trusts you. So how do I kind of understand what you're programming That's for well that said, person? Yeah. And then I can leverage that because I actually have an idea of what he's got and what he has done coming into spring training. And then we can start to fill in the gaps. We now have an established trust uh, with myself and that new player coming in and then we can start to snowball things and I'll just say like hey listen I'm here to support you ultimately and you are kind of the owner of your own destiny and if you're a guy that's kind of bounced around with different organizations I get why you have an outside guy right because you are a professional and you're taking your health seriously so how do I hold you accountable and help coach you towards your program and that's kind of how I try to play that. And I think it's worked really well because now you come alongside a guy versus trying to say, hey, you have to do our program. And that really doesn't work. And I think that comes back to being very open-minded and kind of what we just discussed, right? Like when I was working with a multitude of different sports, I saw a multitude of things work with different athletes at different ages. And so now coming back into that, now I can kind of say, oh, I can see where this trainer is coming from working with this guy perfect that makes total sense let's continue to run with it and i know over time if there's little things that we need to kind of plug some holes in that maybe that trainer hasn't addressed then we're over time and playing that long game we're going to get there eventually but if i try to microwave my approach then nothing's going to taste good and it's never going to last sure. what about uh you kind of mentioned it but what, what's that transition look like uh starting pre spring training and then throughout the season you know uh what, what are kind of your first couple weeks uh getting to know the new players and stuff like that look like yeah i think it's one establishing a relationship with those guys again kind of getting to know who they are as a person first and then obviously within baseball seeing what their injury history is you know what have they been doing during the off season the big thing that i think um presents itself as possible I don't know, I just kind of get aware of it, is how much running have you done? I don't care how strong you are coming into spring training. I want to know how many times have you been on the bags 
how many like what's your sprint program look like because we know from a position player standpoint that you know we don't want you to pull a hammy and so that's really what I'm concerned about and so if I go back and say I'm looking at a trainer and I'm saying hey this is the space that this guy trains out of and you know they've only been running on a treadmill or they only been doing acceleration work and it's only a you know a 20 yard stretch of turf that this person has in their facility that makes me a little worried so to me like you get injured sprinting so we need to make sure that we have the coordination pattern of sprinting we have the mechanics to run correctly and then we can kind of slowly build their workloads up and kind of micro dose those sprint sessions into their warm-ups before they head out onto the field so that's kind of what I look at from that perspective. One of the, the big injuries that is, you know, since the beginning of time that have plagued baseball players is an oblique injury. So oblique injuries, hamstring injuries, what are the Atlanta Braves doing to try to safeguard yourself against these kind of uh, nuisance injuries? Yeah, I think one of the things that when you look at it from a, a running volume standpoint, um, having a polarized uh, approach and a holistic approach and what I mean by a polarized approach is when you look at some of the top sprinters there's going to be days when you are required to sprint incredibly fast right and that is kind of like hey we're, we're turning up the engine and you're going to run down the drag strip and there's other days where we're going to go for a cruise and kind of do more of our tempo work more of our aerobic work and on the lower end of things so you should be under 70 percent it should look slow it should be recovery and it's an opportunity to kind of fine-tune and build some resilience in that tissue. And then if you're looking at kind of creating an over-saturation or over-oxygenation effect, you can do that. When you look at kind of applying that same principle, oblique injuries, we'll do like what we call an aerobic med ball series where we're doing, you know, a six-pound Dynamax ball. And we're actually going through and creating up to, you know, 200, 300 throws. But it's at a low level and continuing to build capacity within that tissue I, I think everyone always wants to look yes we want to create more power and that's a part of the program but keep your high high days very very high and keep your low days very very low and then systematize that and talk to the hitting coaches talk to the pitching coaches what's the volume of this guy how are we starting to build that particular person up and then we can layer everything to be a high day collectively in the weight room high day collectively out on the mound or on the field and then start to kind of make sure that we have the recovery days that we need right and probably even a more expensive injury would be the ucl injury so uh what do you guys do if anything do you is there any kind of preventative program with your pitchers to work with that or is it more of it's not a matter of if it's going to happen it's when it's going to happen or what's the what's your current take on the ucl epidemic I think with UCL injuries, it comes back to one, what is your, are you just a strong, do you have general strength overall? And then what are you doing as you're kind of developing your, your velo um, and kind of putting things together? So when we look at it, we say, does this person have a good training protocol? Are they getting into the gym? Do they have a good warm up routine? Do they have the prerequisite ranges of motion? Is there anything that's like kind of flagging an injury per se? Can we start there? Then do we have an arm care program? And when I look at arm care, yes, we have dedicated arm care specific to kind of scapular, thoracic, and arm health. But then also we're looking at like a total body holistic approach to like, are you moving well? And then are you adding weights and you're kind of getting stronger overall? And then kind of putting it together. If you're always doing like medium work, then you're, you never really recover. 
So kind of layering a yeah. lot of, it, it sounds kind of cliche, but again, it's just being very uh, hyper-organized and aware of all of the total stresses that are going through the body and then being able to manage those stresses and then make sure we account for that, whether it's soft tissue and recovery aspect of it, some dry needling, those types of things to help prevent any issues from popping up. But it's also, again, putting together, are you getting in the gym? Are your legs strong? Are you sequencing correctly? All of those things, it's so multifactorial um, to UCL wear and tear. And then also looking at kind of like their pitch count and their workload and where things are and actually talking to the person and building a relationship with them where they are um, they're understanding and vulnerable to you of, hey, you know what, something doesn't feel right and they're okay saying that and addressing that. Right. And I think that's as equally important Establishing as well. Rapport. Yes. Yeah. What do you think, what are the keys to integrating well within, within the team? So uh, obviously you're in strength and conditioning, but you're having to deal with the trainers, you're working with the orthopedists, you're working with uh, the hitting and pitching coaches. So, and Andrew used to always brag about your ability to do this well also. So what, what are the keys to allow you know, that to kind of uh, naturally occur? Because with a lot of teams, everyone's kind of on a silo. You know, Not everyone's got all the oars uh, facing the same direction. So what are some of the things that have made you guys successful in being able to integrate well within each other? I think one, we have a really good staff and it first starts off with the character of the people that we have. There's no one that has their own agenda in mind. It's always what is going to be best for the player and how do we leverage each other's strengths to collaborate and work collectively to solve the problem for the player's benefit. Right. And really like people say that, but it starts with like, hey, having breakfast with guys in the morning, you know, like you, we go down and you know, you see a, another coach. You know, grab some breakfast with them. Talk about anything other than baseball sometimes. Just, like, be a human being and develop a relationship with people. And then also, like, give and take a little bit, right? Like, I just gave a, a coaching book uh, to one of our hitting coaches, and he and I are going to discuss it on Thursday and grab some breakfast and kind of go over some talking points. It's because, but the only reason I knew that book was going to be kind of an appropriate for him was what we've talked about, and he's writing a chapter for um, another book, and it's just like, hey, this may help you. Like, here, try it, you know? So I think it's a matter of like allowing things to be organic. I think it's also a matter of the people that come into the clubhouse and they're very uh, high character people that have your best interest in mind and that secures a level of trust and ultimately a level of vulnerability. Because when you have good vulnerability, you actually have trust within the organization and therefore you can say I don't know and your job's not on the line you know and that's a big thing that uh, that security I don't think most people have in any job I think that's kind of the, some of the secret sauce that people are trying to develop and that culture is formed organically it's not something that you can just say hey we're gonna act yeah, like today this. we're gonna give a speech and yeah, it's all gonna be, and yeah like everyone's gonna get behind it it, it doesn't work that way Talk to me about, you know, you always talk about like when a players, they go on a run, they win a World Series, which we'll, we'll get to that. Did you guys, were you guys building camaraderie as a staff as you guys were uh, getting in October last year? Could you almost like feel the momentum building even with you guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I'd say back in 18 was the first time I remember walking into our clubhouse and being like, man, something's different. Like this group is special. And we were still in Disney. And it was, you know, February at this point, and we were like, man, like, this, we got a good club. And then to see, you know, some of our younger guys continue to matriculate and, and improve and get better, 
and then you know surprise some people with our results and then last year you know you're coming into october and you're like okay we did it but we still we're a really good ball club and you have that momentum and you have those those key games that bring everybody together the come from behinds the walk-offs the things that really unite a team and that's it's a very very long season but those moments keep you going those moments get you up early those moments keep you up at night when you're trying to find a solution for the next win and the next opportunity and in october you know that last month of the season i don't think really when you're going into a world series run your days i don't think people understand like us as a staff we're getting there at noon and we're working with all of our rehab players for a game that starts at eight o'clock at night that's going to be a four-hour game where you're hanging on every single pitch and every call and you're just like the amount of stress it's like your resting heart rate is sitting there in zone two like 150 just kind of like hanging out and then there's this massive decompression after the game but you're still wound up and you can't go to bed and you repeat that for literally a month straight and i remember like you've got family you've got all these outside things that you're trying to battle from a personal standpoint i don't mean battle it's probably not the right word but <laughs> you're in the middle of, you're in the middle of a battle right on the field there you go and then you're also trying to like you know spend time with family and enjoy that moment that may never come around again um so there's a lot on your plate and well, there's then, a lot of pressure on you guys too i mean yeah we you need your best players to be out there and you know, no one ever talks about that, but I mean, that, that's a lot of pressure. That's a big burden for you guys to, to bear, really. Yeah, like you got to be the best version of yourself as a coach and practitioner to allow them to be the best version of themselves because they're going to be under the spotlight and they want to rise to the occasion because they've been dreaming about that moment since they were little kids, just as you have, you know? And in 2018, what what was it about that group of guys? Like, what, what can you... I know some of it's intangible, but what are some of the qualities that you start to see developing to, to know that it's a special group of guys? I think, um, you know, I recently read it in a chapter um, about, like, camaraderie. And it's like you started seeing, like, the fist pumps come through that were just organic. Like, you're walking down the hall, and it's like I don't think anybody walks down the hall in our clubhouse and doesn't give somebody, like, a hello or a little fist pump or a, a little sign that they're there and they're, they're a piece of you know who Big we old are chest bumping. yeah you know or like you know just those things that constantly kind of happen or over time that you can't put your like it just well because you like each other when you're yeah doing that. you don't do that to some dude you don't like yeah and it's just like hey man i got you i recognize you like how's your day going what's the best part of your day like those are the questions that happen and it's because people are really interested in what's yeah. going on you know and then how do you how do you deal with we know now like how important sleep is especially for our athletes how do you deal with the baseball schedules in San? i mean these guys come off the field they're all geeked up they might not even get back to the hotel till midnight how do you even like attempt to start to work on sleep patterning with uh with these professional athletes especially the baseball athlete who they start their games you know typically so late yeah i think that's the hardest part honestly i think um Sleep is obviously, in other lifestyle factors, is such a, a instrumental part of our recovery. And so, again, it's kind of looking at um, what is this person's home life like? You know, a lot of times these young guys are starting families. Um, they're starting to kind of think about contracts, you know, depending upon where they are in their career. And then just the schedule itself. So some guys actually might get better sleep when they're on the road because their family's not, you know, with them. And they can kind of catch up and maybe they have a little bit of time. They can train a little bit better on the road um, we have uh, 
breakfast at the hotel for our guys. So it allows guys to get up, get a good quality meal in, and then maybe go back to bed for a little bit and kind of get that nap and kind of get an established routine. Um, and then just talking to them a little bit again, you know, like how do you unwind for the game? And, and some of the guys stick around the clubhouse after a game and they share the responsibility and the load with each other. So one guy isn't now, hey, like, I didn't pitch very well. I gave up a few runs. That guy's not carrying that burden home with him and stewing at night because he's got the support system of his teammates and the other guys in the bullpen that maybe they're sitting around afterwards after the game and talking it through like, hey, you know what? This is what you could have done a little bit differently. Hey, I had this situation. Here's how I went with it. And becomes kind of this organic support group. So now that that guy's night is shared by everybody and he's been heard and he's kind of problem solved collectively with his teammates so that allows him to go home and sleep a little bit better at night and I don't think you can you can't you, that stuff has to come naturally and you can't just say like hey stick around after the game but that has an impact on his sleep because his mental health is going to improve his sleep and so on and so forth as times evolved you have a couple different camps you have a camp that believes that every professional athlete can basically be trained relatively the same because of fundamental movements that we have to do in all these sports and you have another camp that thinks we need you know more specialized training uh one which camp are you in and, and the second part of that question will be what is unique to baseball that you need to be working with that maybe isn't true for other sports yeah i think it one how do you be human specific before you be sports specific so i don't know if i want to ever identify with a camp Per se, I just want to make sure that I have the tools and I'm well-rounded enough as a coach to be able to understand like, hey, you know what, what, what do we know from a health standpoint that we need to address? Because if you stop robbing, if you start robbing health for performance, eventually you're going, it's a ticking time bomb. So how do we look at human performance and then sport performance and kind of working back and forth along that? Right. Um, and then within regards to baseball, um, being at this level, you have to be able to train enough. It's like your best workout is the one that allows you to work out tomorrow and it allows you to be the best version of yourself when you step out on the field at seven o'clock at night. Right. You have to keep that at the forefront of your mind when you're working with somebody. And you have to respect that person's, um, what they enjoy doing about training and then you, it's up to me as a coach of the art of it to blend the natural principles of strength and conditioning that will fit with that particular player to be the best version of themselves. So I might have one guy that's like, hey, you know what? Right before the game, I like deadlifting. Let's throw on 315. I'm going to get a couple of reps, and we're going to do an explosive workout right before he goes out. And I have another guy that comes in, and he only wants to do band work. He doesn't like to feel tight. So I need to kind of accelerate what's going to make him feel really good going out onto the game. You need to be a chameleon, kind of meet them where they are. Exactly. And that's how you get buy-in. And I think that's how you, the ultimate goal is to continue to have them come in. And it's a positive place that they always feel good and better leaving because that's going to transcend out onto the field. Yeah. And so that is kind of, again, like the ultimate goal is what, what how do I set them up for success and success from a health standpoint success from a performance standpoint and then unique to baseball is like what makes them really good at their particular sport and how do I either plug in the gaps that the sport is the sport has an adaptation element to it and either that's going to 
push them into more of the performance side and maybe away from the health side of things that maybe I have to steer them back and within the normal ranges. And then there's also that part of it that I can, uh, from the health standpoint and saying, hey, we can push these aspects that whether it's strength, power, speed, more mobility, ranges, access to patterns that are going to help accelerate the performance right. side of things. It's kind of interesting because uh, a lot of people don't realize, you'll know, but spring training was originally devised because these players were working in a normal job just like everybody else, and then they would have to get in shape to, to play baseball. So they would show up in Florida or wherever and get themselves into, uh, into shape. Now these players, they show up to spring training, and they're probably like in, in amazing shape. So, you know, again, like what do you do to carry that on? How much does it change like once the season starts and things like that? Well, coming into spring training, their, their training volume is really, really high, but their baseball volume is very, very low. Right. So I have to dial down the, the training mode and say, hey, you got to go be a baseball player today. So you have to have kind of a slow approach to what you're doing and allow, and also educate the player and saying like, hey, you, you, you kind of came into it at a peak and now let's kind of keep you going, but just drop off your volume quite a bit because the baseball volume, we need to start to build that up. And I think, again, that's working back with the position coaches and saying, hey, like, how much has so-and-so been in the cage? What kind of swings? Like, how is he doing? Is he, is he trying to fix something that now his workload and that coach has a skill-specific need that he's going to have to increase his volume on? Great. Now I need to know I can dial my, my volume back um, because it's ultimately what that preparation of skill development is going to determine who makes the roster as well. So it's that combination of you don't want a guy to pull an oblique in the cage, kind of building up because he's taking 300 hacks, and then all of a sudden you're throwing 300 med balls on the same day, and then he's got to go back and do that. So it's, again, having that open communication across the board. It's also kind of understanding, like, yes, you're in a peaking phase, so you're lifting really, really heavy, and you're sprinting really, really fast, and we need to keep all that in mind. But now let's kind of start to dial down our overall volume and even maybe our dial down our intensity just a little bit because the intensity on the field is going to start to ramp up. Right. And that's really what matters um, as we start to go through. And then within our screening, we're kind of looking at, um, you know, are there any red flags that we need to be aware of, you know, as a guy starting to kind of build his volume? And that just that kind of comes in time and with reps. Mm -hmm. What about... I mean, when you have like a controversial topic like weighted balls, for example, let's just say, would you ever even dip your toe into that <laughs> shark infested water? Or do you just kind of let the player tell you what their preference is? If they're already in a program that's utilizing that, do you try to carry that on? Or is that just something you're not going to go to? I think you honestly, with weighted balls, it's obviously such a, a hot topic. I think it comes back to, um, is this person, are they being coached correctly? Right doing the program or are they cherry picking the program and not being coached appropriately not being aware of what their overall volume is and um, do they even have the structural integrity to to meet the demands of the weighted ball program so yeah. it's kind of like you know that's like the special sauce but like have you done all the general things like that's the tip of the pyramid right if you don't have a solid foundation of strength and mobility and sequencing and then you start to add on kind of this um, 
you know, obviously the weighted ball program and the volume of throwing on top of that, I think that's kind of a recipe for disaster. But I would say if you have the foundation in place, it's like anything. It's basic principles of overload and underload. It's basic principles of program design. And it has to fit biomechanically with who you are. And it has to fit into your overall program. It can't be something that you're... Uh, where I see people get into trouble again is they they cherry-pick certain exercises they don't really have the understanding of why that exercise fits and then they're not being coached uh, appropriately during when they're actually carrying out the exercise or a lot of times too the intent behind the player is like a half-ass throw with these things it's like, you know, you have to have some solid intent and be in the right mindset when you're point. going into it, right? Like, if I'm going to go and do a max effort deadlift, i got to get my mind right and make sure that I'm in a good place and I have a solid warm-up before that happens. It's the same thing going into a heavy-weighted ball program. If I don't have a solid warm-up, if I don't have things activated, if I'm not feeling correctly, and then I go in that with just kind of half-ass intent, like, you're, you're going to get hurt. Right. So let's just kind of make sure we kind of get that out of the way, you know? Well said. Uh, how do you reconcile the, Nate with the Diamondbacks? He always brings up a good point. He always says that rule number one in strength conditioning for uh, all professional athletes, with baseball athletes too, uh, don't blow an athlete up. So don't get someone hurt. So let's just say some guy wants to, you know, deadlift 315 pounds before they go start. Uh, I mean, are you always nervous? Are you, like, are you... I, I've had some nervous moments, let me tell <laughs> yeah. you. You know, um, yeah. Because it's, like, right on the edge, because you're needing to push some limits, but then also, we, you know, we don't want to uh, have someone put on the injured list because of their training program. Exactly, and, and so it's, again, kind of working back and forth with that program. A lot of... One thing that we try to do is, I'd say, if we look at things in a three-day series... Uh, what I personally encourage guys to do is the first day of a series, like come in and just move. Let, let's sprint, let's throw some med balls, let's kind of do a good routine that makes you feel uh, that you've got kind of your um, prehab exercise in. Yeah, yeah, like you, you feel good. You know, especially in an away game, like you're sleeping in a new bed, you probably got in pretty late. Some of our arrivals are 4 a.m. And then you got to turn around and come back to the field. So let's just get your body prepared to feel good for the day. The second day of a series, now you've you kind of played a game. You've kind of been accustomed. You're not necessarily dehydrated anymore. I don't know if that's the right. You know, I always think about that, like, in the back of my head with uh, flying. Now let's come in. Let's get a really good quality training session in. And then the third day generally it's a day game so it kind of goes back to what do you need from us to get ready for that game and what it starts to follow is you kind of have a, a medium day at day one then you have kind of a higher stress day on day two and then you have somewhat of a lower stress day from on day three and the game somewhat stays stagnant and it also allows you to kind of have some fluid periodization within like hey we got in super late so let's make these kind of adjustments but we're still keeping the principles true to what we were, we're doing. I think that makes a lot of sense because with in all professional sports, sometimes like with the teams you see, the struggle is there's no real plan for the player. Like the player can come in, they're almost like ordering a la carte off a menu on what they want that day, which I mean that people have had success doing that, but I also think sometimes people just need some direction. Yeah. And I think that's what you're alluding to by what you just said. Exactly. I think, you know, you're working with the player to give direction, but the the direction always comes back to like what adaptation are you seeking what principles are proposed to elicit that adaptation 
and then what fits within the real world of where we are right whether you know at this time in the season uh, you know what was you know we just came off of a double header and then you're going to go into the next day like there's got to have some recovery built in where we make some adjustments but again it's coming up alongside the player and saying hey listen here's what i got planned for you how you feeling today there's your rpe you're starting to do your intake and your wellness right, intake right, right, right there with the conversation here's what i had outlined what are you thinking here's kind of what the weight room offers when we're on the road you know because there's certain things that we can and can't do when we're home versus on the road and then cool that like we good with that great now let's roll with it and mm -hmm. so now it's kind of that fluid periodization where you're still following the principles but now you're working collectively with what's the state of the athlete right now and then what's the state of kind of our, where we are in terms of that point in the season where we are in terms of travel wise and then kind of rolling collectively with that you have the right. ability to call an audible if you need it exactly you know nothing is linear and somehow we always want it to be but there's a there's this constant fluctuation that we need to have and be aware of and appreciate and if we appreciate and have that awareness then we can address it besides rapport when you're dealing with a difficult personality maybe they've done it one way forever and let's just say that in the back of your mind you're like this is destructive so how do you because like we we're saying before you're going to live with some stuff you might not like but when you're finally you're like okay this is a problem what's yeah. that it, that's a that's the toughest one i think you oh know? yeah for sure and that seems to be sometimes like the aging athlete right um the guy that's had a very long successful career and then comes in and maybe doesn't you know wants to just lift heavy or doesn't really want to warm up appropriately or um that's that's always the one that you've got to kind of come alongside and maybe you're saying he comes up to you or you go up to him and I'm like hey what do you got today because he, he doesn't, you can't, every time you write a plan, it's always like the plan goes out the window because he wants to do <laughs> so what he wants to do. Yes. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, hey, what do you, what do you got today? Okay. All right. That sounds good. What about if we mix in some of these? Um, but that's honestly, those are the hard guys, you know? Yeah. And I feel like I don't have too many of those. You know, you might have a couple, one or two yeah. a year. Um, Thankfully. And, and those are like the ones that you're like, <laughs> okay, I dodged a bullet a little bit on that one, you know, like I got to figure out, you know, and that's kind of, again, comes back to the, the communication of the coaching side yeah, of it. Oh yeah. You have to be really knowledgeable on the technical aspect of things, but that's where coming back and having some social skills and social awareness and also talking to some of the, you know, the position coaches. And a lot of times that guy is doing the same across He's the entire organization. For oh, for sure. You know, yeah. so maybe somebody the position coaches maybe been able to click with him a little bit better so how do you kind of find that out and then now you've kind of come some, built some common language to come back and maybe address some things in the weight room and uh baseball players are just such creatures of habit aren't they i mean it is insane as far as like rituals whether it's before and at bat or pitching i mean it's really kind of it was always a struggle for me to deal with those things is if one thing goes wrong in that little ritual then they they can blow up yeah they're very kind of process oriented and very driven and I would say honestly though too is the guys that have the most success are the same guy every day right good point and there's so much variability in the game itself that that ritual is basically how they get into the zone that's the one thing that they can control so you have to respect that and foster what makes that guy feel really good and then also I think working conjunctively with or collaboratively with the sports science or sports uh, 
performance and mental performance and saying like, does this guy have the tools to get back into the zone if that process, if the wheels fall off on his daily rituals? Right. You know, so it's kind of working back and forth to make sure that that guy has the same process each day that kind of makes him feel good and gets him right because there's the travel there's the lack of sleep there's the you know pressures of having to perform there's the pressures of where am i is it a contract year like all those things are layers to what that person's oh, going yeah. through and all the attention they start to get yeah you know, that's a lot of pressure beautiful we've uh, we've kind of hit our quota we got to get him back so we can uh, get get back to uh, to training and uh, get ready for game day, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we really appreciate you sitting down with us. Uh, I think it was some great insight. Uh, I've heard a lot about you. And, uh, it's beautiful to meet you. So uh, we thank you for sitting down. And any last comments, Brett? No, just uh, good luck. Congratulations on last year, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank yeah. you both for having me on. Oh, yeah. Appreciate beautiful. it. All right, man. Alrighty. Take care. Thank Later. you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gasol Education Show. Uh, if you liked it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, for a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.